Hello again, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Real Talks. I'm your host, David Steele, and I'm here with Ian Cargard today. Ilua will be back on Thursday. Just a friendly reminder, if you like what you're hearing, you can follow us wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Just search Real Talks. That's R-E-E-L Talks. Just like my name, S-T-E-E-L-E. Also, you can follow us on social media. I'm on Twitter at Wannabe Rounder, LinkedIn, and on Instagram at DCaduto. Where can they find you, Ian? They can find me at Instagram at frogs underscore Z, so F-R-O-O-G-Z underscore Z. Just a couple of quick announcements. Our Patreon channel went live about a month ago. You can find it by typing Real Talks into the search bar. Let me tell you a little about it. We're offering five different levels to support us at. $5, $10, $20, $30, and $40. If you do choose to support us, you'll have the opportunity to get some great perks, such as your name shouted out before every podcast, cool merch, and if you're one of our major contributors, you'll get a one-hour monthly Zoom meeting with Iloa and myself. For more details, just go to the website. I'll leave the link in the description. Which leads me to my next big announcement. Flashback Fridays are underway. This is where Anne and I will be talking about films from the past. The first film we talked about last week was Iron Man, and then we're going to be doing every single MCU movie in chronological order. Stay tuned for this week's episode where we will be talking about Iron Man 2. I can't reiterate enough. Hit that follow button so you never miss a podcast. So this is our main topic podcast for the week. And this week's topic is Stephen King movies. This is all in anticipation for the new Stephen King remake of the 1984 movie Firestarter, which actually starred a very young Drew Barrymore. Anyways, before we get started, we do have to pay the bills. We'll be back in 30 seconds. Leadership, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Its ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. A Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. Subscribe today. The Starfleet Leadership Academy. Welcome back. So... I gotta ask, are you a horror fan? No, I'm a big baby. I have nightmares. Like, I saw the preview for Blair Witch and I couldn't sleep for weeks. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So that that was like 20 years ago. That's crazy. I know. I'm a baby. No, no, no. There's nothing wrong with that. No, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. So people just, some people just don't have what it takes to, to do this. But... So this guy is one of the most prolific writers and I would say film guys we've ever had in our industry. He's his first book goes all the way back to the mid seventies. But I was counting as before we went on air today. Take a guess at how many of his books have been turned into movies. Thirty. Forty nine, man. Forty nine. Forty nine. Forty nine books. Wasn't he on cocaine at some point, so he just would pump him out? Well, I don't know about that, but he, he does have some crazy influences we'll get into in a little bit. A little bit about the guy. He's 74 years old. He's actually going to be celebrating his 75th birthday in September. He's from Portland, Maine. He attended the University of Maine f- from 1966 to 1970, 
where he graduated with a Bachelor of Arts. And he actually went back to teach at a academy of higher education. Of, and that was in 1971. And he continued to write short stories in magazines to, and worked on his ideas at the same time. So he's been known to write for what you were saying earlier, horror, fantasy, supernatural, drama, dark fantasy, suspense, thriller. He's done it all. So I'm curious, have you seen the movie? Or I'm sure, maybe not have seen it, but I'm sure you've heard of the movie, Carrie. Yeah, way back, way back. I just remember the blood scene. That's pretty scarring. Yeah. So in 1973, Carrie was, that was one of his first books that he had written. And he was accepted and actually got it published by the publishing house Doubleday. And that was his fourth novel. And, but it was his only, his very first one to be published. So the story goes that he threw the first page, three pages away because he didn't like them for whatever reason. His wife at the time had found them in the trash can and said, honey, what are you doing? Because she had read them and he's like, I don't like it. So she made the suggestion to him because it was supposed to be originally, I guess it was supposed to be a male main character. She made the suggestion to him, well, what if you turn it into a female character? So that's how Carrie was born. And so... Yeah, so that that's, of course, the 1975 or 76 film where Sissy Spacek is a high school student, and she eventually develops telekinesic uh, powers. So, but to pay Stephen, to, to pay him, he didn't have a phone at the time. Like, his phone was out of service. So they actually sent him a telegram, and it said, carry officially a double-day book, $2,500 advance for royalties. Congratulations, kid. $2,500. <laughs> so what ends up happening is then a, it gets published into a paperback where he goes on to make $400,000 from that, where he has to split. So it's like a 50-50 split with the publishing house. And so he ended up getting about $200,000 from that. And so, yeah, that, that was his very first main takeoff book and of course in 1976 that was made into a film so it was just crazy after carrie he just kept pumping out the books like in 1975 salem's lot was published i mean once he was established it was all over so in 1977 after his mother passed away he and his family moved back to boulder colorado and this is where he got the idea for the shining so that was the 1977 book that he came up with and, of course, in 1980, it was made with Sissy Spacek. And she, I guess she did such a good job in the first one that they wanted her back. And, of course, Jack Nicholson. And so then in 78, he completes... I don't know if you've ever seen... Have you ever seen or heard of a book called The Stand by Stephen King? It sounds familiar, but no, I haven't. So, so this book, and I actually tried to read it in high school, it was like a dictionary, and. It was over a thousand. I'm not kidding you. It was over a thousand pages. Oh my gosh! I I got about a quarter way through it. I'm like, okay, I'm done. <laughs> so he completed the stand in 1978, which actually turned into a miniseries two twice, once in 1994 and 
and once in a couple years ago in 2020. So the, basically the plot is a dark plague kills most of the population. And the remaining survivors are split into two groups. Oh, is this the one where it's located in Las Vegas? Like the yes. evil people? Okay. Yes. I think I yes. saw this miniseries when I was a kid. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Yeah. yeah 1994 is when it was first dubbed into a, a miniseries. It was, it was about six hours. So, and then, so you had two factions, good and evil, and they were going to have a big to do about it and whatever else. So from what I understand, I didn't, I haven't seen the newer version but I guess the the newer version was not that good. But yeah, so he goes on and like in 1982, he, he does. So he did a lot of books that were shorts too. So these shorts had a lot of individual stories that were only a few pages. And the 1982 book, Different Seasons, that was one book that got three different movies out of it just by itself. <laughs> so of course the... One of the top 10 or top five movies of the 1980s was Stand By Me with Will Wheaton and Rob Reiner directing. Yeah, go ahead. This is just kind of outside of his standard genre. It kind of surprised me that he did something other than horror. It seems like. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, it's it was more, he had more of a horror element to it. I mean, it wasn't this. So he wanted a different style, I guess. So... The other couple were, of course, everybody knows the 1994 Shawshank Redemption. That was based on Reader Hayworth and the Shawshank Redemption. It was a short story, actually. And Red was supposed to be Irish. And he was supposed to be Caucasian. But Frank Darabont wanted a different take on it. So, of course, they got Morgan Freeman to play that. They did make a joke about that in the movie, didn't they? Yes, yes. Right after they they introduced each other. Yes, you're right. He's like, I thought that was an Irish name. Yeah, you're absolutely right. They did. And then the 1996 movie that was pretty scary, to say the least, At Pupil. So At Pupil was about a teenager who discovers that his next-door neighbor is a Nazi. And the suspense there, you know, trying to, you know, coincide that and actually do that. It was just Ian McKellen played the played the lead role, the antagonist there. So but that was you're right. That was not the only thing he wrote for. Believe it or not, Stephen King actually wrote for comic books for a short time. Did he? Before everything or like kind of in between? 1985. 1985, he actually wrote for Oakman comic books. But it, so it was for all the proceeds. If you remember back then, it was the big thing was uh, USA, USA, Africa. We are the yeah. world. Yeah. So all the proceeds for that, that he they made from that went to went to that. So that was to try and help all those African countries, Ethiopia and all those other countries there. But yeah, he actually wrote for comic books at one time for a brief Were time. Scary. No, no. I mean, actually, well, you know what? That'd be interesting to find out because the X-Men, of course, they have all these different powers. And I wonder what he's doing with Green Jean Grey and trying to make her because she's arguably the second most powerful X-Men at that point. You know, so that would be fascinating to find out. He seems to like to have psychic characters. So that would kind of be in his wheelhouse. Yeah. So... From the late 70s to the early 80s, he was just coming out with all these books. I mean, it was just, as you were saying, pumping these out year after year after year after year. 
some of the more notable ones was the 1981 movie. Well, it was actually turned later on turned into a feature film with uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It was called The Running Man. I don't know if you have you ever heard of that. I've heard of it. Yeah, so I'm just trying to get. It's hard. Like I've probably seen these movies throughout my life, but then I have to like. Yeah. So the Running Man was about it was a futuristic dystopian land, and Richard Dawson was big and family feud at this point. And what he did was so they got him to come on board and play the host. And the name of the game show was The Running Man. And they had these stalkers and all these stalkers. The the object was for these stalkers to basically kill the prisoner. Right. And they wanted to make it seem how gory it was. And nobody at the time knew that it was all a lie and rigged. So when Arnold gets on there, he and his buddies basically expose how this is all a lie. And yeah, that I love that is and it's a great sci fi movie. I mean it's one of his horrible acting jobs, but it was just a great sci fi not to say anything Arnold's been in is great, maybe the Terminator, but <laughs> <laughs> but that being said, yeah, it was just a great sci fi fun movie. But the key there is that was based on a Stephen King book. So yeah. So guessing that if you throw a stick anywhere in Hollywood, it's related to a Stephen King movie, at least. Six, six degrees of separation, maybe. I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, with the number of feature films that he's almost 50, and he's got, you know, another Salem's Lot coming out in September. So, yeah, possibly. It, there's a good chance of that. 1984, he comes out with Thinner. Talk about creepy. Yeah, so, but, so anyways, because of the success, he was actually going to try and write under a pseudonym or a false uh, another author so nobody would knew okay this is Stephen King and so he actually wrote under Stephen Brown or no Stephen Brown was the man that exposed him so he actually tried to write under a pseudonym like I said and so there was a clerk a bookstore clerk that exposes pseudonym Stephen Brown and that's how so he wrote the book The Dark Half in 1989 basically as a test, I guess. Yeah, a test or an, or an editorial to be like, okay, so this is the death of the, my pseudonym, my false reality or identity. But it actually spawned on another, I think, kind of, when you look at the movie itself, it kind of spawned on another movie, Misery. Okay. Of course, that was with James Caan and Kathy Bates, and she played the wild and crazy fan. And so James Caan gets in a car accident and by the way, Stephen King was in a car accident, which I'll get to in a bit. But yeah, he... He's not a very lucky man. No. And so so some of his influences, you, you're talking about dark. Some of his influences are Richard Matheson, who was his biggest influence. And he wrote The Omega Man that got turned into a movie with Charlton Heston. And re- the most recent one was, I, I don't know if you've seen I Am Legend. Is that with the vampires? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, with okay, so that was with Will Smith. So he wrote that. He wrote actually. Matheson had written sixteen episodes of The Twilight Zone. So you could see where his his style was going. Some of his other ones, so like Ray Bradbury, E. Moore Leonard. I think didn't he write? Yeah, I thought he wrote some books on like Scientology or something or Dionostics or Dionestic. I don't know. Anyways, but you could see how creepy where his creepy side was. So some of his favorite books are like Lord of the Flies, 
I mean, these are classics, but still. I hated Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies, 1984, dystopian. So, I mean, he just, he has a very, Huckleberry Finn was another one. So, but getting back to his style, he actually had said to somebody, interview once, you have to be able to read and write four to six hours a day. And if you can't find the time to do that, you can't expect to be a good writer. I mean, obviously. It's it's a career, right? I mean, right. I mean, that's a full time job for him. Yeah. So he set out. So he's every time he sits down to write, he sets out to write two thousand words. That's his quota for the day. Now I've written a two thousand word paper, and it's like five. And I, I was able to double space it. By the way, <laughs> that's like that's like five or six pages. It's like pulling teeth for me. Yeah, I yeah. So it's one of those things. So. He actually, believe it or not, though, he was in a car accident in on June of 99. So it's been 20-some-odd years. And so he was walking on the shoulder of the highway, and a guy hit him. And he ended up getting—so he, the driver ended up getting arrested and pled guilty to driving to endanger. He was actually trying to get his—believe it or not, Anne, he was actually trying to get his dog to sit down. So he took his, his eye off the road. To try and get his his dog to sit down, so anyways, he hit King, and then he basically pled guilty to a lesser charge, and yeah, so he got a six months suspended sentence, and then he got his driver driver's license revoked for a year. Well, he'll live in infamy as a guy who ran over Stephen King. <laughs> yes, he will. Yes, he will. It's about the only time you're going to hear his name ever. Probably. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. So and then. I mean, he has so many awards from so many different places. It's just, I was looking at him, I'm like, okay. And it's year after year after year after year. I mean, he has done so much to further Hollywood as far as the horror industry. And it's just like, and you got to wonder, if Carrie doesn't get made, what happened? You know, it's one of those things. It's like that Marvel show. I mean, I'm going to go off the topic for a minute, but it's like that show, What If, for Marvel, right? Right. What if all these things were to happen? Well, you'd have a different multiverse of madness, if you will. By the way, if you want to actually hear my thoughts about the multiverse of madness, stay tuned. I actually put it up today, so you'll be able to listen to all my thoughts. It's a spoiler cast, so go see the movie first. But yeah, so it's talking about multiverse of madness. If Carrie doesn't get written, you don't have half over almost 50 of these movies getting made. Miniseries and books and short stories and yeah. So this is all, so I I digress, but this is all in anticipation for the remake of one of his other books that actually came out in 1981. And as I said in the beginning of the the podcast, start a very young Drew Barrymore in Firestarter. I couldn't believe that when I saw that. I went, whoa. She was so prolific in her childhood. Like she did E.T., she did Firestarter. I mean. Yeah, she really... Yeah. I mean, has she been in anything recently? I can't really recall. The last thing I can think of is Blended with Adam Sandler. With Adam Sandler. I mean, yeah, so let's that's a that's a very good question. I mean, I think well, you know the thing is now she has her talk show and so I'm imagining that takes up all of her time. And so yeah, it's one of those things where so she's, but it's not like she needs to make any more money. I mean, she probably no. You're right. Is set for no. You're right, and it's one of those things where 
yeah, she, she all she has to do is produce now. I mean, she doesn't have to act at all. So it's, I'm looking right now. Oh, she was, oh, that's right. And talk about another remake that just got put up this year was Scream. So she was in Scream. That surprises me. I guess she kind of has always done, because E.T. is terrifying to me. So maybe she just <laughs> sticks to horror. Yeah. So I'm just, I'm going through some of her credits right now. Yeah. Charlie's Angels, 50's First Stage. You know what I actually, I mean, you're probably not a baseball fan, but I actually liked her in Fever Pitch. That was actually a fun movie. But he's just not that into you, going the distance. She's not really done anything. She was in Wayne's World 2. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, so she's really besides, yeah, E.T. was in 84. Or I'm sorry, 82. Then she went to go do Firestarter. So The Cat's Eye is another Stephen King movie she was in. So she really, you're right. She really didn't have to do a whole lot there. I actually, now the one that I think it's the funny one is Batman Forever, you know. But it's, so she never really had to do a whole lot. I mean, because she made her, she made her name so young that it's like, okay. So, anyways, but Stephen King is just one of those guys that I think that it would have been interesting if he never... So, let me ask you this question. Where do you think the horror genre of the last 30 to 35 years would be without if we didn't have Stephen King? I just think we'd have a lot of creature features like we had in the beginning. And they would just have to have, like, you know, a new monster, like a new Swamp Man, a new... Frankenstein kind of thing. I think they would really focus on monster horror. I think it wouldn't be as psychological as it is. I think he kind of made it when you're sitting at home at night, kind of thinking about what's lurking around the corner instead of just having a grotesque creature look at you. Yeah, I know. And I think you hit the nail on the head. He is more of a, and the one I just thought of off the top of my head is another one, the Green Mile. I mean, that's... That's by him too? Yep. Oh my gosh! So I mean, <laughs> so talk about ripping your heart out. Just—I mean—that—that that was a tearjerker, if nothing else, right? <laughs> but you actually—you bring up a good point because Stephen King is—is is known. I mean, yes, it's all the blood and it's all the gore and everything else, but it's—he—it's more psychological for him than anything else. I mean, it's one of those things where tell not show, don't tell type of thing. Sure. And if I can scare you by, you know, it's that old, not jump scare, kind of, but it's like somebody looks in a mirror and they look away from it and they look back and then there's somebody behind them and then they look again and you know what? I'm even, I'm thinking about the uh, most recent one that was a couple years ago. What did you think about the new It movie? I was terrified. Talk I, about creepy. <laughs> I, did ahead, not, I did not want to see it. I was forced into it by my husband and my friends. And they're like, oh, it's, you know, it was one of their favorite movie, one of their favorite movies as a kid. And they forced me to see it. And then, like, that dancing, like, clown. <laughs> I, 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 I can't handle it. And he made me, and then somehow he convinced me to see the second one. So. Oh, no. No, it's, and I can sleep. For several days, as a result, I knew that was going to happen, but everyone's like, oh, it's more of like a, a scary creature horror rather than psychological. But it was both, so it was terrible. <laughs> I mean, it was a good movie, but it was terrible for me. Yeah. So, okay, so 
your husband must then have seen, and I haven't seen it, but from what I understand, it's pretty scary, the 1980s version of it. So. Yep. Yeah. Tim Curry played Pennywise. That tells you in the makeup. The makeup back then was so mundane. Today it was like just vicious, you know. Even the first five minutes of that movie, you know, where it's raining and then Georgie's going down to, to get the boat and then he, you know, goes and he gets captured by Pennywise and it's just, ugh. So the two things that, like, I I don't know this to be true. I know it's, it's got to be, I think, in the top ten of fears of people is clowns. For whatever reason. Because they're horrifying. A human... Okay, so you're afraid of clouds then. <laughs> I mean, do you remember Circus Circus back in the day? I don't know yes. if that's just a Midwest thing, but, I mean, they had that, like, clown running around, and that was terrifying. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you have a bad experience with clowns early on, it, it probably isn't a good movie for you. <laughs> yeah, so, in all honesty, though, so what did you think of the second one and compared to the first one? Because I'm curious. I liked, I liked the adult portion of it. I mean, I kind of liked them re- reminiscing with their friends. Because recently I've had a lot of old high school friends move back to Minnesota because they're starting families and stuff. And so it was really relatable to me. Just kind of that having that connection when you're young and, you know, going through all that crap as a kid. It's just like coming back together it's so easy to reconnect with people i i think that was the best part as an adult but everything else that was terrifying i i did not enjoy but i enjoyed the reconnecting with old friends and how easy it is just to connect with them and like you know they were all arguing with each other right away at the chinese restaurant and you know that's something that you wouldn't do with people that you know you're just acquainted with you know you know your really good friends are the people that you can argue with yeah, no, I, I would agree with you. I, I did like that that aspect, so how the flashbacks did go back and forth. I, I thought the cast was decent. You had, you know, James McAvoy come in, Jessica Chastain come in, you had a couple others. So, I mean, yeah, absolutely. It was, I thought it might have been maybe 15 or 20 minutes too long. I mean, they could have, but otherwise, it was a good f- scare movie. I mean, it's just one of those things where, and I think a lot of these movies get remade too, Ann, because let's face it, a lot of people from the generation didn't really know of them. I mean, either they're too young, back in the 70s and 80s, or they didn't really like it. So now they're grown up today, they're like, oh, this doesn't seem too bad. Well, I feel like they, they bank in on parents or older people in their lives or even just the nostalgia thing that they've really been focusing on in Hollywood is like if I'm a parent I liked it as a kid or you know I saw it as a teenager then I would go and bring my kid to see it so it's like two for the price of one because you know it's multiple generations are going to want to see it the people that haven't and the people that have and they want to experience it with their younger relatives or friends things like that yeah and so so there are a few i mean pet cemeteries coming out later on this year i mean they're just pumping these remakes out at a crazy crazy pace so in the last four or five years we've had it we've had pet cemetery we've had Firestarter. i mean the one movie i'll be honest with you and there's a, a couple of movies that I really hope they don't remake. Like The Green Mile, I don't think you could ever remake The Green Mile. No. That to me was just, 
The story was just too heartbreaking. The cast was just too good. The other one, though, the one I really, really... I mean, they've already remade Carrie. The one I really hope they don't touch. And it would be blasphemy if they did. And mark my words, probably will get remade in the next five years, is The Shining. It probably will be. It probably will be. And that's just horrible. Because that what Stanley Kubrick did with that movie back in 1980 was just amazing. I mean, you want to talk about being scared. <laughs> Every single person that I talk to and when I talk movies with... I'm never going to see it. Yeah. I'm never going to see it. I saw the Simpsons version of it and I was so scared. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the, you know, everybody talks about like A Few Good Men and One Flew Over the Cuckoos. You want to talk about Jack Nicholson being just crazed. That was just a... It is a masterpiece of a film. I mean, forget about the fact of the blood. Yeah, you're not a blood... I mean, even though you we know you're in the medical field, it's still one of those things where the blood is just like... It usually doesn't spray everywhere like that. Well, I mean, that's like the scene, and since you're not going to see it, I'll tell you. So the, there's a, a boy that is, because of the bickering parents, and this boy looks down a hallway, and he sees what he thinks are two twin girls... And it's a hallucination. And next thing you know, these elevator doors open. And I mean, just gallons. I'd love to know what they use. Just gallons and gallons and gallons and gallons of blood just coming down and just cover. But it's just like, yeah. So, and that was in the 1980s. Yeah. I mean, how did they make that much blood? Did they just buy the... No, yeah. Yeah, I'm sure it was cheap paint. You know. Probably all the cornstarch in the area was used to make that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I mean, just going back, I mean, I remember seeing The Shining and it's just, wow. But there are some movies from Stephen King that just should not be touched. That's one. I mean, go remake all the other ones. Do not remake The Shining. I mean, I'm not even talking about Christine, Cujo. I could go on and on and on and on. That's how many books of his have been turned into movies. He's like literally carried the... And, you know, it's interesting because we talk about movies all the time and we talk about all these filmmakers that come up through the ranks because they've done great work, whether it's a Greta Gerwin or a Jordan Peele. And, I mean, Jordan Peele right now is like the Stephen King. And... He's about the only person I can think of off the top of my head that does any great horror movies. I mean, that's it. I mean, it's on a single hand. I mean, whether it's Us or Get Out or this new one, which I'm dying to see, nope. You know, did you ever read any in school? Like, did any of your teachers make you read Stephen King? No. I did, and they actually, like, one of my English instructors was like, this is the new Shakespeare of our time. I'm like, I don't know about that, but. Okay, interesting. I mean, you heard some of his influences are, you know, with Lord of the Flies in 1984. and But see, that's where he gets a lot of his, you know, Ray Bradbury and, you know, these guys. That's where you get a, a lot of these influence. And if you look at his films, you can definitely tell. Like, The Running Man is a dystopian world. You take that right out of 1984. I mean, for whatever, it's just, it's, he can turn a kid's plaything, or a clown, and turn him into this maniacal, 
little twist killer and it's like oh my god i mean were clowns like considered like sinister before it i wonder is like no no i mean i remember bozo the clown growing up yeah (laughs) you know bozo the clown you know but crusty the clown i mean these are you know but these aren't but it's just amazing to see how his his imagination works because I mean, it's like he takes these sinister things that that are so innocent and then just twists them. And it's like, okay. I mean, Pet Cemetery. I mean, all of that stuff is influenced by his life. Like, his own cat got run over by semi-trucks, and then that's why he wrote Pet Cemetery. Yeah. I think. Well, I, you know, but I think you would agree with me there. The best work you do is from personal experience. Yeah. I mean, because you know that exactly. you're it yourself. I mean... But it's one of those things where he never has to work another... I mean, he's still pumping these books out at 74, but... He probably doesn't know what else to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is what he's done for 40 years. That's the crazy thing. He has a routine. He he puts out one, two books a year. So he's one of these... He's not a filmmaker, per se. He's not a producer. He's not a director. But he gives the content. And that's the thing. You think about all these movies and all these performances, whether it's Jack Nicholson, you know, the Here's Johnny scene, or Sissy Spacek standing there with all that blood on her, which you were talking about in Carrie, or The Running Man, you know, or just on and on and on. There are so many movie moments that we would not have if it weren't for Stephen King. Right. And I I said, I feel like if you've read some of his books... Like, Pet Cemetery, like, that English teacher that I had, he made us read it. And, like, it's horrifying. They actually have to, like, pull it back a little bit in the movies. Like, it's like a two-year-old kid that, you know, gets run over by the truck instead of, I'm probably spoiling it for other people, but instead of, like, they made the children older in the movies because it's horrifying to see like a tiny child like in your mind getting run over by a truck and a lot of the movies i feel like they have to like pull it back because it's so extreme in his books so it's interesting you bring that up so the movie it 2017 so uh, you probably don't know this but they actually had to change the ending of that movie because at the end of the book and this obviously for good reason they had to do this so at the end of the book when they kill pennywise now there's four boys and one girl and they're all in their early teens 12 13 years old in the book and they all have an orgy really they all yeah yeah so you want to talk about twisted and changing things so of course at the end of the movie so what you see is them all in a group and they all cut their hands or blood or family now whatever but they couldn't obviously use the original ending of the book in the movie. So that goes back to a little, what the hell was he thinking back then? That's not, that's not something I want to imagine. Exactly. So nonetheless, I mean, people that don't know that, I mean, a lot of people don't know that. That's probably breaking news to a lot of people. But yeah, the book, because once again, it was like six or 700 pages. I mean, unless you're somebody that reads 25, 30 pages a night before they go to bed, it's like, huh? And even when they're probably reading, they're like, no, this can't be right. So it was more of, celebration is not the right word, but more of, they wanted to form a bond, right? 
And they felt, and at the time, he felt like this could, they would form a bond together doing this. So instead of that, they, of course, used the, the cutting of the hand. So, but yeah, so he's talking about the, so they, they've definitely had to alter his books. Yeah. In some way, in some way, shape, or form, because it wouldn't be suitable for the screen. Oh, and there's no, no way that it would have been allowed. No. So, which makes me wonder, what kind of mind does he have? I mean, I would love to get him on a couch for an hour. <laughs> Just like, what? you know. No, thank you. I actually don't want to. <laughs> no, no, but it's 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 one of those things where how do you come up with these experiments? I mean, how do you come up with these things? Do you know what I mean? Because it's just strange. Anyways, we're getting off the topic. But it's like, yeah, Stephen King is, is basically, at the end of the day, he's one of the most iconic horror psychological thriller guys of the last 30, 40 years. And he is, he definitely, he's made a lot, let, let's put it this way, he's made a lot of money from the box office. I mean, I was selling these things and everything else. I would be curious to find out if he gets any money because they redid it i mean he i imagine they already sold he already sold the rights yeah so but that would be fascinating okay this was a a healthy discussion (laughs) yeah uh you're probably gonna go go to sleep tonight and have nightmares because of all this stuff but yeah so in all honesty though tomorrow you're coming back and we're recording again and we're going to be talking about thor which I actually am very interested to finish now because of how it all went down. And Captain America First Avenger. That one I, I haven't seen since I've years and years. Since I've only seen it once. Yeah, so, it's been a long time. Yeah, so I'm sitting down to watch those. And then in two weeks, we're going to be talking about, I think, a top five. And I think we agreed on this the other day top five mcu movie in the avengers and was the pinnacle of not only phase one but i think the whole mcu i'm dying to find out your thoughts about the new doctor strange movie because it's one of those things where and i said it i'll give you a little i'm this isn't a spoiler but i'll just give you a little what i said either you love this movie or you hated this movie you definitely saw some well let me ask you a question do you like sam raimi as a director yeah i think so oh he's done some pretty i mean of course he did spider-man and Lee wasn't great whatever but have you seen his evil dead stuff no oh wait is am i thinking of that kind of campy horror movie yeah probably still not too bad i mean it's kind of funny i mean yeah Army of Darkness. So, I mean, there is some very interesting elements, I'll say. This was a hard PG-13, and I'm like I said, I'm definitely interested in hearing your thoughts about how this is going to go. I mean, this made... By the way, you were... Oh, I, I you did see the article I sent you, right? <laughs> Last week when I heard... The, yes. When we were talking... I couldn't believe... So, as we close it down, I couldn't believe the number... When I heard it, and I thought, "Oh my God, it's right!" <laughs> it made a hundred and almost a hundred and ninety million dollars. I was it was close opening weekend. Yeah, no, you were. And the thing is, I don't even think you were guessing. And I just went, "Wow!" 
but it made $450 million in one weekend. I mean, it had been open in international markets and whatever else, but this movie is going to be a billion-dollar film. And like I said, a lot of people either loved it or they hated it. Well, it's just kind of like with WandaVision. Some people absolutely hated it. Some people loved it. I mean... Yeah, and it's the thing is that... I mean, I'm going to go back and see it again because I want to see if I liked it any more than I did the first time. But, wow. And I, the thing is, at the end of the day, I don't know which direction they're going. Like, I, I have no... I, sitting here today, I have no idea where they're going in what direction. I mean, you know, at the end of the Avengers, you knew who the big bad was. You knew... And then you had the 10-year build-up to that. But, like, today, I don't... I mean, we're five five or six movies in. We've had Black Widow. We've had Shang-Chi. We've had The Eternals. We've had this. You're four or five movies. I have no idea where it's going. So, yeah. It's the long game now. It's not like the Avengers where they're like, eh, is this going to last a little bit longer? I think, and I'm going to put a bold prediction out there right now. I think what you're going to see is I think one of the mid-credits scenes, and I, by the way, this is complete speculation. I have no inside knowledge in this. I think one of the credits you're going to, mid-credits scenes you're going to see in Thor is I think you're going to see who the big bad is. Mm, like a new Thanos. Because I think there are enough movies in. Because if you remember, it was four or five movies in before we saw Thanos. And this is going to be, what, the fifth movie in. So... If we're going to have a phase four, that's like a phase two with 10 movies or 11 movies. And the fifth one was after the Avengers, we had Thanos with, you know, after the fifth film. Don't be shocked if it's, I mean, there's a ton of speculation who's it going to be, Mephisto or Kang or whoever. But at the same time, I think you're going to see the big bad because they have to reveal it. They have to at some point reveal it. They have a cohesive villain to exactly. tie everything together. I mean, if you're, if you're planning the next 10 years out, you know what you're doing. And I think that they know what they're doing. So we'll see. And that will that's to be continued. And once you do go see it, we are going to come back and we're going to do another spoiler cast, but it's going to be both of us this time. And that's going to be a blast. Anyways, so we got a lot of stuff on the horizon coming up. We got another Flashback Friday dropping on Friday. Sci-Fi Sundays will be starting in June. Just want to let all of our listeners know that this is going to be a subscription-based service. Don't worry, you'll have a ton of contact to listen to if you don't want to subscribe. You've got the main topic podcast. You've got the weekly roundup. You've got these Flashback Friday ones. You've got a ton of stuff. Okay, so for David Steele and... Ian Cargard, you have been listening to Real Talk.